1: I mean, you've probably been on so many shows and angles that they capture everything. I thought you. about
2: this last night is that I probably should give way more shits about my appearance when it comes to my own show because like we record it and put it everywhere. And I just kind of like just roll out of bed and like fix my hair. You know, people come in, like guess, like full glam, which makes sense because like it's a big show. But, <laughs> but you've done sick- millions of people are
1: like listening and. I'm just like, whatever. <laughs> You've done 600 of them, which is so crazy of your podcast. Uh, Yeah, we're closing up on 700 now. That's nuts. Yeah. You started it in what year? January of 19. And were you always doing three a week? No, started with one.
2: So the first nine months we did one a week. And then we, it was, I know this because it was the Monday after Ashley and Jared got married. So I don't know what Ashley and Jared's wedding date was, but I believe it was in August. Um, we launched... The Ask Nick episodes, uh, which was just the the callers, uh, so it was two a week for a minute, and then when Batch, and then after a year, um, you know, I wanted to establish my show as like not like some sort of just like Bachelor recap show. So for the first year, we didn't talk about Bachelor that much. We would maybe once an episode spend five minutes when it was on to be like, oh, last night was fun that was crazy that we would move on um but once the show kind of kind of rec- got recognized as um something different like a more relationship kind of pop culture podcast from like a guy's point of view uh then we started recapping bachelor episodes as its own episode standalone episodes so then when it was on it was three times a week um and then in the off season, we'd kind of go to like two times a week. And then we just said, fuck it. Can I swear? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I wanted to expand and, you know, more and more reality TV shows. Love is Blind coming out and um, that being a hit and us enjoying it. And we've re- recently gotten a lot of the Bravo shows. And so now it's
1: just reality recap. You are know, you, so. Are you just constantly watching reality to keep updated?
2: Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, I started watching Housewives, Beverly Hills Housewives, uh, last night. That is top notch. That's the best of the best.
1: What would you say, is that your favorite reality show out there now? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, my favorite reality
2: show out there right now? That, hmm. That's a great question, just because I'm
1: so... A love is Blind, I think, maybe is the best one right now. Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, you're also on this other show right now, guys. Today's guest is Nick Vile. Oh, sorry, yeah. Of the Vile Files podcast, you also might recognize him from Bachelor Nation. He's also from Dancing with the Stars and my one of my favorite shows, Special Forces. Uh, I really like Special Forces. Um, I guess from
2: my point of view, it's like it's a great show because it's I, I loved being on it, and but it's not a, it's not
1: messy. <laughs> it's basically a show about. Celebrities doing military training.
2: Yeah, legitimate military training.
1: And they're just straight up yelling at you the whole time. Oh, way more than yelling at you. They're They're putting bags over your head. There are
2: elements um, for the people who... There's literal torture on it. (laughs) Literal. Not like kind of, but literal. And then everything else felt like torture in a sense. Uh, But it was um, legitimate um, military special forces training. Like a watered-down version because clearly, obviously, what those those uh, people do in special forces training is incredible. And, and so this was just – this was an eight-day course. Um, but when you were there, it was very – it was a true simulation as I describe it. You know, it wasn't like – it didn't feel like you were filming a TV show. You know, there wasn't, like, stopping and starting. There wasn't, like, oh, we would film... We wouldn't, like, film scenes. You know, we wouldn't, like, break to, like, do individual interviews or interact with producers. There's none of that. You were just... You were... We were a group of 14, and we were lived on this compound, and we only interacted with the DSs, drill sergeants, um, or staff, as we referred to them. And... um Yeah. And we were there as long as we wanted to be. And their goal was to break us. Literally. And that was the show. It's it's, it's truly an insane experience. But yeah, it was incredibly authentic. Like I knew it'd be hard. And I and, you know, my team kind of had other people, I think, who did season one. They're like, no, it's just, you know, it's like, they're not fucking around.
1: Season two is definitely an upgrade from season one. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Season two, you guys are so much harder. You're hanging there like on top of waterfalls. In season one, they're just like kind of like a little lounger.
2: You know, it's funny. We were recording the whole while we were recording throughout the time filming, um, we would, you know, discuss and, you know, and we were all like, this shit's so much fucking harder than what they were doing on season one. And that's what we thought. I will say, when, you know, when, when filming wrapped, um, we had the opportunity to obviously talk to some of producers then because again, like it was a very crazy experience that you didn't really meet anyone until you were done. You know, I met a few people in the pre-production process. You do one master interview, you know, when you see kind of cutaways into all of us kind of like sharing some thoughts, everyone does this like one long master interview from like high school till now. And they just kind of talk about everything. And then, they, you know, they'll use will pull from that. But other than that, you don't really interact with anyone. But yeah, they mentioned that they said no, it was pretty hard. Season one, two. The only thing that was different about season one, is my understanding, is they filmed in Jordan, the desert, um, um, and because of that, they obviously had to work around the heat elements, um, and so their days were much shorter. You know, so there was only a certain amount of daytime where they could do the things that they were doing with with. Um, the recruits, um, and so they had shorter days because of like heat exhaustion and le- legitimate concerns. But we were in winter time, and so our days were like fucking eighteen hour days. You know, from we would get up at seven, and then we'd go to bed at midnight, and we were on alert the whole time. And even when we weren't doing anything, their whole premise was soldiers don't get ready; they stay ready. <laughs> So we were just like always like sitting at the end of our beds, waiting to be like called at a moment's notice, because if we weren't ready, then we'd get punished for not being ready. And so it was, um, so your heart rate is going constantly. It was an insane experience.
1: What's up guys. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by modern man. Knockout knockout is a non habit inducing all natural formula that helps you go to sleep faster. So you wake up feeling like a well-rested champion. I've tried it before and it helps cut you straight to sleep. Knockout uses all-natural ingredients like GABA, L-theanine, and more to help you fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer. Aside from Knockout, Modern Man offers a wide range of products for anyone who's looking to take their wellness game to the next level, from supplements that boost your athletic performance to the first over-the-counter sexual-enhancing supplement. They've got you covered. So if you guys want to try it, go to Modern Man Lifestyles and use code LIGHTWEIGHTS for 50% off site-wide. Again, that's modernmanlifestyles dot com. Use code lightweights for fifty percent off site wide. Get ready for the best night of sleep of your life. When people yeah. left the show, are they immediately flown out back home? Or I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I shouldn't say. I think so. Um, because there were some yeah. people who walked away in the first couple episodes. So yeah, you're d- you're done, and yeah. you're not interacting with the showrunner or a producer. You're literally just you and the drill sergeants.
2: Yeah, there's no. You're only, I only interacted with the drill sergeants. And the pe- like, there are some audio people who, like, change your battery packs. Like, and do they talk to you? No. They would, And well, they they would, they'd only refer to us as our numbers. And they clearly got some sort of instructions to, like, tr- be mean to us. Not mean, <laughs> but, like, they just didn't interact with us. They are like, number 12, number 4, you know, number 5, you know, come here. And they would not engage with us. And then they were just very curt with us and just told us what to do and then, you know but they wouldn't like it wasn't time to like be like hey man like what's your name I'm I'm Nick and like there was no like human connection or anything like that we were just objectified
1: did the with the drill sergeants <clears throat> being so hard on you did that build the bond with you and the other recruits
2: oh 100% yeah it was definitely a a, a truly bonding experience because you, you all you had was each other you know and so you really counted on each other you know even you know, I really got close with Tyler and, and JoJo and, and a lot of the, a lot of the people there. But you know, even people that you might not think uh, that I would hang out with outside of, of this, you know, environment, you bonded because you, they you had their back and they had yours, and and everyone was there to bring each other up, which was another rewarding aspect of it. Because like most of these shows, these competition shows, or even if it's not a competition shows, I mean, Bachelor is still a competition show when you break it down. You know, you you make friends, but there's always an element of competition and, like, you know, a singular goal. And, you know, Special Forces isn't about winning or losing. Technically, everyone could finish the course. It's about surviving. It's about surviving. So if everyone can make it, then great. You know, everyone doesn't, clearly. But it's, it's about seeing how many of your, I guess, essentially teammates can finish. So there was no... Other than when they literally had us like punch each other in the face, <laughs> or race down a wall, and and said you're competing in this moment, you know, or when we carried the boat race, so, you know, you're never really competing. You're you're a team. Who'd you have to fight? Tom Sandoval. Yeah. How'd that go? <laughs> well, I was annoyed because the DS's uh, said he won. Uh, in the in real time, I was convinced I had won just because I was landing more punches, and then. At the end, and they, like everything else, what's so crazy about watching it is they just, you know, they they only have so much time. They take 18 hour days and edit it down into a 50 minute episode or whatever it is. But, and what made it so hard on our end was how everything lasted, like the boat race that, you know, when we were carrying those like boats, like we had, that lasted like three hours. That, like, we had to carry like two miles, you know? And we had to row, you know, across the lake, and you know everything's shown in fifteen minutes, and then you have no concept of how long it took us and things like that. And so like when Tom and I fought, we like fought for like three rounds. They showed it; they made it look like one round. They have to do that because they're limited in time. But uh, and then at the end, they were just like Billy, the the DS who refereed the fight, gave us something, and they mentioned this when they edited it, when they showed it. They had DS Rudy being like, "This is about getting back up," and. And they're like, if you're surprised by the outcome, we were the person who like didn't quit. I'm like, well, you could have like what else? I was supposed to let Tom punch me in the face the whole time to like go down. I don't know. It didn't really matter. They, they clearly the DS's didn't really care about the outcome of the fight. It really was about just fighting, you know, and they were like, don't box, don't wrestle. We just want you throwing punches at each other's faces for as long as you can. There was, you know, don't, they didn't want, they literally kind of told us not to like get out of the way. Just start throwing haymakers. It was kind of crazy.
1: Is there a crazy finale stunt that happened at the end? Like, does it progressively get wilder? Yeah, yeah. Did they show any of that yet?
2: No, so we're halfway through. They took like two weeks off because of the World Series. Uh, so they pick back up with episode five on Monday and it's a brutal, it's a brutal episode. I don't know when this airs, but uh, that was a brutal, it's pretty gnarly every the rest of the way
1: i'll post this on tuesday yeah. can you talk about monday or we don't know what's going to be on monday right i i have a pretty good sense. oh yeah can we yeah. talk about monday then? yeah sure for and sure. i'll post this on tuesday Great. so this will come out the day after it comes out. yeah monday like
2: uh the last episode I was five was that was like one of my that was my breaking point you know so like the the, the day before was the boat race and so that day just kind of walk you through the whole day because i don't like i don't know how people receive it watching it for an hour but you we woke up um, and actually that day we found out that they were supposed to, they actually made up that boat race. Um, so um, on episode five, you see us fly into the mountains and do the leopard walk, which was gnarly and actually pretty cool. Like a lot of the extreme like height stuff was scary, but like pretty badass and cool. And you always knew you were safe. You know, um, you had to, their big thing was trust your equipment. You're, you're safe. It's scary, but you're safe. Um, still tiring. Um, but we were supposed to do that that day, we found out. And we were kind of sitting around in the morning. We're like, what's going on? Again, they didn't tell us. They don't communicate anything with us. But like, you know, with helicopter safety, the too many clouds in the mountains. So they had to scrap that for the day. So we found out after the fact that it was actually DX Foxy that came up with like, well, let's... I knew there would be some sort of race. They did that on season one where they had to push some Jeeps through the desert or something. And so they're like, well, let's just do... the." These boats and these boats are like 200 pounds or whatever. Keep in mind, everything we're doing, we're always carrying our 40 pound backpacks, always. (laughs) And so they had the boat race, and we started at like I don't know, lunch right after lunch or whatever. Uh, And it took like again like three hours or so, and we so we carried the boat for like a couple miles. Then we had to you know do all those things, and we were exhausted, you know. And but I was on the winning team, and and we had a little bit of adrenaline from winning and despite you know us winning we had we gave it our all and even though we were like a mile ahead of the other team because the other team you lost Kelly pretty early they're a man down uh and they were really spent but our winning team like we like we felt good but we we were like crushed right uh and then we had the fight now keep in mind we had to run a half a mile Before they let us fight, you know, so with our backpacks on, we had to run about a half a mile at least. So we're gassed. And then again, when it comes to the fight, the only sensation I felt was exhaustion. You know, like I didn't I didn't think I mean, Tom and I didn't land many punches, like solid punches on each other. Were you both trying? Was
1: there some kind of trust? Like, don't go too hard.
2: Oh, no, we were trying to kill each other. Yeah, we were giving it 100 percent, you know, and I didn't feel anything. I was just fucking exhausted. I've never been that tired in my life. Just And then we had a. they didn't show this, but we had to run back. And we had to run back behind a Jeep that was like pumping out diesel fumes. So we were literally choking on fumes as we were running back after we fought three rounds with backpacks on. So we're just fucking spent. And then we woke up the next day, and I felt like I was tired, but like my spirits were high after day four. But day five happened, and we had the beast thing. And they woke up in the morning. That was the first thing we did where we had to, like, jump in this frozen trough. Um, that's how it started. And we had to do, like, monkey bars and carry rocks and duck walks and bear walks and things like that. And it's freezing out. And we're jumping in this water. And then that whole thing, I don't know, probably took, like, 30 or 40 minutes. So, and it started with us jumping in freezing water. And at this point, I just – that's when it really hit me. You know, like, I think the exhaustion of the first four days, like, caught up. I wasn't getting the calories that I was used to getting. I was burning 10 times more than you know, I used I used to burning. So when your body's cold, it just doesn't have the nutrients or the to warm up fast. So I was super hypothermic. Uh you know, there's that scene where Aaron carries me to the hot shower and I was just kind of like shaking. I don't even remember Jack coming in and checking on me. Um and uh and that was just the morning. <laughs> And then so we had like a uh, like a, I don't know, a short break. Um, Yeah, we had lunch. We had like maybe an hour to unwind. We had lunch, but then they served lunch and then we had like five minutes to eat it. But keep in mind, every time we had a meal, we always had a lot for time to like clean up and do our chores and shit like that. How's the food? It was the Absolute. That was the hardest part. It was like prison food. It was like boiled meat, you know, and it was disgusting. It was truly foul. Uh, and I'm a picky eater, so it it sucked. So I was just trying to get calories in, and it was very it was very difficult to do. And so, then they that was then the day that we were able to fly into the mountains to do the leopard walk. So that was pretty cool. Ten minute helicopter ride in the mountains. Leopard walk was more cool than tiring, but still pretty fucking tiring. But at this point, the final seven that we had was a tough group. You know, like the first I was the first seven. I don't know if the first seven ever like thought they were going to finish, you know, they did, they gave it their all, you know, some more than others, you know, like Brian Austin green, love him to death. But after day two, he's like, fuck this shit. I don't need to be here. You know, I'm uncomfortable. Fuck it. What's the point? Which I get. Um, And then, um, but that final seven group that we, we have, they, every one of those people was like there to see if they could finish, you know, which, which helped. it, It helped and hurt us. It helped us because we are all motivating each other and we we're there and supporting each other. But it, hu- it hurt us because the DSs were like, these motherfuckers, like, no one's quitting right now. Because are they
1: s- really trying to break you? Yeah, truly. The producers want them to try and eliminate you. Yeah.
2: So oh. the fact that we weren't quitting, there was like, all right, well, we're just going to keep running you guys. You know, so we did the leper walk. We're super tired. We're up in the mountains. And, you know, uh, only Bodie and Tom. Uh, there were seven of us. Only Bodie and Tom successfully completed the leopard walk. Uh, So they just used that as an excuse. It didn't really matter. They're always going to use the excuse to say, we fucked up or we're stupid or whatever. And so we had to like hold our Bergens over our heads, you know, for uh, like two minutes, you know, and then we had to run up the mountain and then run back. And then we did it too slow. So we had to run back up the mountain and everything. So we're exhausted. I'm thinking, again, keep in mind, the morning I was just hyperthermic and I thought I was going to... I thought that was it. In that morning, that bee sting, like DSQ was like, "You want to fucking quit or whatever?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm, um, I'm not. Like, fuck it. I don't think I can do this." But I got through that bee sting, and then I was just thinking, "This guy, they can't, they can't do this anymore to us. Like, that's this can't be safe."
1: Was that kind of your mindset of like, "I'm yeah. not gonna tap if it's too dangerous. They're just gonna kick me off."
2: Something like that. I don't know. I really wanted to see if I could finish, but. You know, there was that I also was like, I don't want to risk anything like I don't want to hurt myself. You Did know? you
1: think that risk was possible?
2: Uh, I think going in, I had more of that risk. But I think once I got there, I will say they do a good job of making you feel safe. They'll push your limits, you know, and and that's the big question. You know, it's a mental game at that point. It's it's you trying to figure out what are my limits because you feel like you've pushed your limits two days ago or whatever. And the big, you know, you, you, there's a doctor always on site check, checking in on you. But like I just trusted that, you know, maybe I shouldn't have because I signed a contract that says, you know, you can die and we, it's not our problem. Uh, but I, I did trust that they were, they were looking out for us. And it was just to, uh, up to us and our, 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 our mentals, so to speak, to figure out what those limits were. And so, you know, we're running up the mountain. I'm exhausted. Then, you know, of course, the, the, the helicopter ride out there, is more scenic they're getting some shots they're kind of having fun with us for going up to the top of the mountain and then we do kind of nose dive down it was pretty fun uh it was pretty badass uh the helicopter ride they're like fuck it let's just bring it back to base but we landed like about a you know uh three quarters of a mile away from base We're like fuck that means they're gonna fucking run us like i don't know what they're gonna do but like why aren't we landing closer to base it doesn't make any fucking sense so we get out of the helicopter, got our Bergens on, which that was kind of cool because we were literally landing like you see in the movies where they like fly down and soldiers drop out and you give them the thumbs up and you're like yeah. You know, so that there were elements like that that were pretty badass and so we're running with our Bergens on and we go about like 30 seconds and then they yell out land mine you know and all of a sudden like we have to simulate like we're in a minefield and it worked out that Tom and, Bo, uh, Tom and Bodie were the only ones who passed so Tom and Bodie because they got basically rewarded for passing and they were basically playing injured soldiers. So we had to carry them, which meant that <laughs> which meant that Tom that Tyler had to carry Bodie and I had to carry Tom. Um, and so I had Tom Sandoval like on my shoulder that I had to sprint for a half a mile while he's on my shoulder on top of your 40 pound bag uh, while I'm carrying a 40 pound backpack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so, again, keep in mind, like, keep it, keep in mind, early in the morning, I was like, I can't, I have nothing left, um, and so yeah, that was that was definitely my breaking point. From that point on, I was literally trying to get to the next hour. I was like, just get to the next hour. Is and that then reassess?
1: That's that whole mindset, just like keep thinking ahead. Like you're just waiting for it to be over because you know it's an eight day filming. Shoot. Yeah, that's
2: crazy. Yeah. So yeah, five really five really uh changed my perspective in a sense that it, it really I really doubted my ability to finish at that. It it really became like oh, this is harder than I thought it would
1: be. You is know? that where you kind of were like what's the point of this? Oh, there's definitely a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz that... ev-
2: everyone had their um it was kind of interesting because it, when when for the people who quit, you know, and I did this, you know. Um you know, you have your pride. So everyone was always looking for a reason of why it was okay to quit. That wasn't them just being like, fuck this shit. You know, Brian, to his credit, Brian Austin Green was like, I don't need this. What's the fucking point? You know, um, and I won't give other people's away. But just an example is when I went on, I found out Natalie was pregnant maybe a couple of weeks before that. So great news, amazing news. Everything's pretty early. But she had a doctor's or uh, uh, her first doctor's appointment. Well, her second one. We had our first one, but it was so early that we didn't really get much information. So, I felt like our first real docs appointment was day six of the course, uh, day six or seven or something like that. So, in my mind, I'm like, you know what? I should be with her. I should, you know, I should go. You know, I had that excuse in my head to justify quitting, so to speak. Other people, like, there was someone who, um. Who quit where like they were like, uh, I don't care about the challenges, but like the Jeeps are unsafe. You know, granted, we were everywhere we'd go. We're in these Land Rovers in New Zealand and we would drive up some pretty treacherous terrain, you know, where there's a cliff on the end. Now, granted, I always felt safe and it was a little scary. But this particular person was just like, I can't do it. I, I won't go in the Jeeps, you know, and that's not why they ended up leaving. But it's just an example of. You know, they wanted the Jeeps to be like, well, I could do all this, but I can't do the unsafe thing. You know, everyone had their like a reason of trying to justify quitting. And it was just kind of interesting to see that kind of psychological game we all played with ourselves of like trying to make excuses of why it's okay to quit or why I'm not quitting. I'm just, I'm doing it for different reasons. It was, it's a psychological game they're playing.
1: Was falling asleep there awful?
2: No I mean we slept in the cots which wasn't comfortable but we were just so exhausted it really didn't matter and the cots were like loud and uncomfortable like if if one person moved, it was just like the snap crackle and pop yeah and then like so then everyone would move and it it was yeah you didn't get much sleep but at that point we I, I was surprising how how well I slept given how un, the, the conditions in which we slept in but we were truly just exhausted you know our bodies were Truly, just shut down. shutting down.
1: Did you need therapy after the show? In the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking we could pull one of the best autographs in the game but guess what? With zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs on ArenaClub, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. What I love is the display of the available cards, the hit rates, and the grading. Arena is a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, and with Arena Club slab packs, they're revolutionizing the repack game with transparency.
0: Uh, well, I'm always in therapy. Um,
1: Did you focus on that experience? Not really. Um, yeah, I didn't have any like PTSD
2: or stuff like that. The The show does a good job of prior to and then kind of their off board, you know, leaving the show, check in with you and make sure because they really are testing you. But uh, I this is, this is all to say that I found the experience incredibly rewarding. You know, uh, and I'm glad I did it. And I've always been someone who likes to test my limits and see what I'm capable of. And at this point in my life, you know, when you're younger, athletics or other things make it easier to kind of do some of that stuff and uh, to kind of challenge yourself and 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 test your limits. And I think as you get older, there's there's different areas in which you can do that, but. This was a unique experience that um, you know I really embraced and, and, and found rewarding because it was a, a way to kinda of test my limits and and um, yeah,
1: it's pretty cool. It's like you got stung by the bee. Are the drill sergeants worried <laughs> Oh by the way I found out it's called beasting, not
2: beasting. Which I think beasting B bee, like makes more sense because that's how it's like it fucking stings. That's what but they were saying beasting the whole time. B E A S T I N G. B-E-A? Why? I don't know. It's like a military term. But, uh,
1: that's so weird. But
2: B-sting makes more sense to what, you know, we're going to fucking sting you. I don't, I don't know.
1: When you're being stung by the bee, like, and there's all that aftermath, do the drill sergeants, are they, like, worried about you? Like, oh, are they looking to each other to the side? Like, no, they're fucking st-
2: laughing at us. Literally.
1: Literally <laughs> laughing at us. Um,
2: <laughs> and that was a thing, too, where, like, after, I will say, because I had my, my interrogation after episode five, uh, and- you know, to the to the credits of the drill sergeants, they're they said, or I think they told this to JoJo on episode one or two, I don't know, but they said like we're not gonna give you a pat on the back, you know, like we're not here to, and that was almost him giving a pat on the back by letting him know, like we're not gonna be your cheer, we're here to fucking push you, and we're, you know. And pushing you isn't just the physical element. That's the thing. It's it's the psychological. It's letting you know, making you feel alone and like a number. And like only you, they're training you to only be able to rely on one another. That's kind of the whole point, you know. It's like that's why they break you down. It's not just to be mean. It's not just this, like, hey, we want to torture these people. There is a method to the madness, um, and they're trying to get you the breaking point. <clears throat> and so when I had my interrogation, but Billy had some like tough love comments for me. But at the end, he was like, he gave me some words of encouragement. And he said in the interrogation, they aired it. It's like, you know, you can do this. And, you know, for me, like, I I, I, I joked that, I think it was episode two or three early in the episode, where we're like every morning, uh, whoever was the duty recruit, which was kind of like in charge of the chores. And they would, ass- you know, the duty recruit would be like, hey, you know, you you have to do cleanup today. and You have to do uh, sweeping or whatever the fuck, uh, they would make a list. And, you know, I think it was Jojo's was like, what's the list? What is it? What do people want? I was like a hug, you know, <laughs> but I, it was, I was joking, but I meant it, you know, it's like every, you know, I, I played athletics. I, I really liked having hard, tough coaches. I had some pretty brutal coaches that I responded well to because I think I just wanted their, their encouragement, you know, and they, but they wouldn't do that. You know, they were just more like, fuck you, you know, you suck. And I'm like, I'm giving it my fucking all. And you're basically telling me I'm a piece of shit that emotionally, (laughs) immensely like broke me down. But in my interrogation, it was just a little bit of like Billy being like, I, you can do this, which is kind of, it was, it really helped me. You You had Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. You were connecting with your captors. (laughs) It helped me. It, it, cause at that point I was ready to be done. And, and, and that, that helped me keep going, you know, just getting a little bit pat on the back. That's crazy. You
1: know? If you saw the drill sergeants at a bar, oh,
2: with- they're amazing now. They're the nicest fucking guys in the world. I keep in touch with all of them. I'm inviting all of them to my wedding, you know, they're, they're great. And, and Q, that was the meanest motherfucker. He's one of the evil laugh. He's the nicest of the bunch.
1: Yeah. So it's pretty crazy. Yeah. That's unreal. Okay. So Special Forces out now. I'm so excited for the season finale and just to see where you land off. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited.
2: To, I'm excited to watch it too, and it should it would be fun.
1: Okay, can we talk about some Bachelor stuff? Sure. So you have a pretty cool story about how you got involved in it, as far as your audition process and how you got casted for it. Mm-hmm. Do you mind sharing it real quick?
2: Yeah, I mean, I was I uh, uh, was in Wisconsin, and uh, my buddy's wife was watching it, and I was making fun of her. And I was like, "Why are you watching this stupid show?" Uh, and she told me to shut up and said she jokingly said, "I'm going to sign you up for it." which she did that night without me knowing and you know like eight months later i got a call and um at that point i was working at a company called salesforce really liked my job just got promoted very grateful to have it and so i was literally in san francisco at a conference um when i got the call and i was like yeah they're like are you still interested in coming on abc the bachelor i'm like still interested like who are you this is a joke (laughs) And then I, at that point, I only agreed to say yes because I had no intention of doing it. At that point, I didn't talk to anyone at work, and I was just like, "I'm not quitting my job to do this show," you know. But I, out of curiosity, I met with them in Chicago. They're like, "Well, we'll be in Chicago. Just meet with us." I'm like, "Okay, sure." And then after I met them in Chicago, like, "We'll just come out to LA," and I'm like, "Well, I've never been to LA, you know, free trip to LA, cool, I'll do that." Um, So I really went through the casting process out of more curiosity, you know, like, you know, that some that'll be fun to just go through the process. Uh, and then I realized that I think these people might ask me to come on the show. And then I started like asking a few people at work that I trusted, you know, and I had good relationships with people above me. And to my surprise, they were like, oh, you got to fucking do it. And, um, you know, so if it, it weren't for Salesforce and the people I worked with and worked for and and their support, I probably, none of this would have happened, but thankfully they were, they really valued work-life balance and they valued me as an employee. And they're like, listen, we will.
1: We'll always take you back. So go do this and let us know when you're done. It's so cool how out of all your interviews, you always talk so highly about Salesforce and just how supportive they were. Because I feel like you had such a different experience, at least now. Like when you went on, no one was really going for the social media influencer thing. Yeah, it definitely was not my intention. I didn't
2: know anything about social media influencing. I do remember thinking it was going to be really cool to get um, double-digit likes. Because part of that, I Double had it digits. In, <laughs> you were going for ten. <laughs> literally prior to that. I don't think I, I you know, I was, Oh, I was like 33. And so like when Instagram came out, I was like, I don't know why you need this shit. Like, what do I have that? And I think I had the account. I didn't know what the fucking post. I was a single guy. And at that point in my life, if I didn't have a girlfriend, I was never in any pictures you know because like the only time i'd ever be in pictures because i'd have a girlfriend who would be like we should take a picture you know and shit like that because i would never be like let's take a picture um and I, so the few times i post on instagram i would always it would be like <clears throat> matt liked your photo you know you they would just list individual <laughs> names because they got to like seven likes or eight likes and I remember being like, that would be kind of cool. Uh, and then, like, you know, when I got a thousand likes, I just remember being like, I remember telling one of my friends, like, I can post a picture of a band aid and get like <laughs> 200 likes. It's the weirdest thing. Uh, so that was my, my mindset with social media when I first went on. You know?
1: How many people were watching the show on the season you were on? Do you know? I, I don't know. Um,
2: I do know that, well, I do know that Andy's season, the first season I was on, was a poorly rated season. Um, it did not perform very well, um, but Caitlyn's season, the following season, the one I was on, did very, very well, and that was that was kind of the start of like I think where a lot of us kind of refer is like the golden era uh, of The Bachelor. It was a, a strong casting, a lot of good characters, some great leads. Um, it was the start of paradise. Is when social media really took off, and there was still some innocence about it. And and nowadays, when people in The Bachelor just it, it seems so transparent people's intentions which is really more about like trying to get in the whole social media influencing game rather than looking for love but um yeah
1: do you speaking of golden do you think there's some of that innocence with golden 100
2: i think that's why people are enjoying it again people are loving yeah it. because people it looks like a bunch of people genuinely interested in making connections and and there's a lot of innocence there of people like you know this the a lot of the, the golden ladies that, that lost husbands to death or, you know, some of them, you know, just from bad relationships and a lot, it seemed like all of them had just been single for a really long time and kind of missed that connection. And that sincerity behind it is I think is the biggest people, biggest reason why people are enjoying it so much.
1: Given your experience with reality, can you see a golden bachelorette? I Absolutely. I think their only challenge will be finding the men.
2: Why? I think it's... I mean, you got to find 30 Garys. <laughs> you know, how many, how many open-minded old men do you know? Um, yeah, I just think, listen, if they really want to do it, they can do it. It's ABC The Bachelor, and they, say they might have to put some resources. But I do think casting for The Bachelorette will be significantly difficult, more difficult than casting for The Bachelor. And
1: it's, then do you think Golden Bachelor in Paradise would be chaotic? That'd be awesome. Yeah, I'd like to see that.
2: Maybe it's not Paradise. Maybe it's some other community. Cabo? I don't know. Golden Bachelor in... 55 plus? In Florida. Maybe (laughs) Florida. Springfield, Florida. Yeah. In Sarasota, Florida or something. I
1: don't know. Were you happy with how you were portrayed on all the reality shows you've been on? Oh, my God, no. No. I mean, my first two seasons, I hated it. I was a villain. Um...
2: Yeah, certainly not Andy's. Not much. Caitlin's was definitely better. The only problem with Caitlin's was that I was coming in as the villain, and you know when it comes to Bachelor, Bachelor fans have these kind of unwritten rules of the things you should or shouldn't do, and I did not abide to them, um, and so I definitely got some heat. Um, Paradise was probably I felt like the more most accurate representation of my personality, um, and then I, and, and I was totally fine with the Bachelor. Bachelor just it's tough because. You're the lead, and it's really not about you as much as it is about the other women. Um, it's certainly about you and your love story, but as far as the TV making, it's you're just there to facilitate a little bit, right. um, You know, if if there's drama in the house, you're just like, well, what's going on? You know, like you're there to help them storytell. Yeah, uh, but I would say, I would say uh, Paradise is where I when watching it back, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that, I feel like that's of. A more accurate representation of my personality where the other shows they, they, they're just putting you into a silo you know everyone everyone who goes on that show feels like everyone says well there's so much more to me and of course there is right because just like at special forces you're taking 18 hours of footage and editing it down into 15 minutes on bachelor they're, they're taking uh, four days four filming days is a is a single episode so they're taking f- I know, f- four four you know 18 hour days into a two hour episode. So, even less of a percentage of all the things that are air- filmed are aired. And so, they have to oversimplify uh, moments uh, for the sake of TV, but for the people who are living the experience, never feel like it's, you know, there's so much more, and, you know, and they take the liberty of redefining what context means in the editing room, so to speak.
1: You've done so many different verticals of those shows. Do you have a solid grasp of what will make it to air and what will be cut? uh bachelor wise yeah a pretty good idea yeah
2: uh special forces was always kind of new i think that's what surprised me about special forces is that i wish a it was a two-hour episode and uh because the focus really is on the training they could have so much more content of the interactions we had with each other and you know I, i i was pretty upfront with tom sandoval about you know, when I first met him, I'm like, hi, I'm Nick. I don't know if you know, I was shown. I've talked a lot of shit about you. Um, How'd that go over? You know, he handled it pretty well. He understood. I mean, everyone was talking shit about him. So uh, <laughs> he, he was gracious about that. And then we had a on, on, on one of our expeditions. Uh, it was just Tom and I in the Jeep for like an hour long car ride. I essentially had like a podcast interview with him. That was fully recorded because everything's recorded. But they don't air any of that, you know, because it's just there's just not time. You know, and so it was interesting to watch Special Forces back to see what they prioritized and what they didn't. Um, so there's so little of the moments that we shared as team members and conversations about life or outside of the show. They just never make the cut. But Bachelor. Um, yeah, I mean, I've 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 become a student of uh, of what goes on in that show, so to speak. You
1: I feel know. like if anyone were to produce an incredible show, it would be you. I feel Thank like you, you. have yeah. all of that experience because you talk to so many people as well and you analyze it so much. Uh
2: yeah, I was you know, and I was grateful with the producer when I was The Bachelor, I was very grateful with the relationship I had with the, the head producers and they trusted me a lot and it was definitely a collaboration, so to speak. Um you know, not other seasons are different. You know, most most seasons on The Bachelor, um the the lead knows maybe just a little bit more than the rest of the cast. Um, just because they're the leads, but in a lot of seasons they don't. That's that. That's all they know more. You know, they they won't tell you what they're doing the next day or things like that, because the premise is like none of us are actors and they want the most authentic moments. You know, but I was lucky enough that the, I think the producers trusted me a little bit more. I was a little bit more in the know and had a little bit more idea of things were happening three or four days in advance
1: and and. I worked with them and they worked with me and, and we helped each other out. Do you think that you had to let a part of yourself go to really put yourself out there?
2: Yeah. I mean, you definitely have, when you're on those shows, especially like the bachelor and and like that, like when I was on Andy's season, there was a a kind of a conscious decision to be like, I'm here. Like, I'm not crazy. I know this is crazy, but I'm here. So fuck it. Like, I'm just going to embrace this environment.
1: When you're on those shows, you're just being thrown into it for a show that's been on for 20 seasons already. Were you aware of how big it was at the time?
2: Uh, when I first went on, yeah, yeah, I
1: think I had a pretty good sense of that it was a pretty popular
2: show. I, I, I never, I wasn't a fan of the show. I didn't watch it prior to. I had a lot of friends who did, even guy friends. So I had seen clips and I was very familiar with the premise. And prior to doing it, I watched a lot of episodes to prepare myself. But I was, I knew it was big. Yeah. You know?
1: And then that spun off into the podcast and the other two shows too, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like you have a lot more stress to deal with than the contestants because you are dictating kind of everything with all the contest the other females? Being the lead, I think, is one of the most challenging things I ever did. Cause
2: yeah, you're <clears throat> you it's it's your life, you know. Their expectation is to get engaged. You don't make, they don't make you, they don't force you, but like it's you just know that That's what the audience is expecting. And prior to – there had been examples in the past prior to my time on the show where leads didn't get engaged and were crucified by the audience for it. And I think probably production had a hand in that as well. But uh, Do you feel like you have to get engaged then knowing that other people got – There's some pressure. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was, yeah, there's definitely pressure. Uh, and I genuinely, genuinely wanted to make it work at the time I had been single for a long time. I was certainly ready to meet someone and settle down. So I, I was, I was, I really wanted to meet someone when I was the bachelor. Um, and so you have that to consider. And then, you know, as a lead, you are, you're filming a TV show. And so, you have to talk, you and then you have to be considerate of everyone else's feelings. You have to remember people's names, and you have to have, you know, seven, like, I don't know, first night, you literally have to have, like, 18 first dates, you know, very similar conversations. They're all nervous, you know, so you have to drive the conversations. There's long days. You know, the first half of Film of the Bachelor is, like, physically demanding. The second half's more emotional because then you build a rapport with the women. You respect them all of but one you feel like you're leading on a little bit and then it's just it's it's a lot
1: i feel like it's so hard because you kind of have an idea of who you want already maybe there's like five or six people that you do like
2: uh everyone's different but i think most people like my i mean i i pretty much knew right away yeah after the first night i i was pretty certain and then i didn't know anything about her um, and then after my first and early date with her, it was, you know, it was like I'm, it was just navigating how do I film the rest of the season and and end up with her.
1: How long after that did your podcast come out?
2: Oh, while yeah, I mean, I finished filming, uh, film, finished filming the batch there uh, in sixteen at the end of sixteen. It aired in top of seventeen,
1: and my podcast didn't come out for two years. And then, did you have an idea of who like? guest that you did want to have on
2: no not really i mean when i started my podcast i mean i honestly thought i was late to the game you know like everything else it's just all relative um but podcasts for had definitely been out there a lot of my friends had some successful podcasts so i felt like i was late to the game but i wanted to you know i i wanted to think about what you know what do i want and it was really it, i really started my podcast because i did you know at that point you know, you kind of figure out, well, what the fuck do I do? I have this platform. I don't know if I'm going to go, you know, who knows? Am I going to go back on? That's the thing about being the Bachelor is a challenge. It is it is a big deal. You know, culturally, you know, for the six months that you're the lead of that franchise, you have, you know, borderline A-list celebrity access. You know, you're getting on top talk shows. You know, you're one of the most famous people in America in that short period of time, you know, you're very noticeable. You, you, you go outside of the street and people are noticing you and, you know, and it's, it's an interesting thing. And it can be stressful and fun all at the same time. Um, and then obviously that slowly goes away. And the challenge of coming off the bachelor is like, how do you replicate that high? It's like most people, when they start in kind of entertainment business, there's a slow build and, you know, they have this, you know, small job and they build and, you know, and build and build. And with the bat starts overnight, you're like big time. And then if you want to stay in entertainment, it's kind of how do you, the whole goal is how do you get back up to that? You know? So I spent a lot of time trying and failing and trying different things. And, you know, I was in acting classes and improv classes and I still do some acting and social media was like, what's going to be my thing, you know, um, and I always enjoyed giving relationship advice. I've always been interested in social dynamics, certainly as a part of being on the bachelor, you know, kind of, uh, played a role in that. And, and then on Instagram, I started my little ask Nick series, uh, where people started asking me questions and I would only answer relationship questions and people liked how I did that and my delivery. And, um, people found it, I think a little entertaining while also surprisingly helpful. Um, and that, and that was kind of like the what i was looking for to start a show um and i use that as a, like a launching pad to be like this is what the show is gonna be about it would be giving some of these types of talking about relationships from a guy's point of view and then with my background in pop culture like using that as a launching pad for discussions about relationships you know so and that's what when we recap the bachelor or love is blind yeah yeah we're recapping it we're being snarky and talking about what's going on but we're we try to use those as examples to talk about what's going on in the real world, you know, in terms of relationships and dating and social dynamics and, and things like that. And that was kind of the premise of the show, and it's continued to evolve ever since. You know, you you know, people always say like in business, if you're not growing, you're dying. So thankfully, we've been growing ever since. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy to think where we started and where we're at now. But the show's changed too. You know, um, at first, it was just this singular episode a week and it had some ethnic elements at the end of the episode. Uh it was less about having guests and more having like guest co-hosts, you know, type of thing. I was trying that out. i try, was trying different voices and uh on the show and having other guests and regulars on the show and yeah, it's just kind of figuring it out, man. And and um and, you know, and here we are just uh, on
1: multiple days a week. I mean, know? I feel like you nailed it. You guys are crushing with the relationship stuff.
2: Uh yeah, the show's doing very well and um it's, it's kind of blown my mind how, how, how large it's gotten, how su- successful it's been. I have a hard time enjoying it because I'm, I'm always trying to figure out how can we double this, you know? Um, but yeah, I'm proud of, of what it is and, and what we've, we've made it. And I got a good team around me and um, yeah, it's rewarding to kind of like I was saying before, you know, I used to, you know, go to and travel or whatever, you know, certain cities, you know, LA, I live here and you know, most people are, pretty chill. And I also don't go out much um, in LA. But like, when you go to like, the Midwest or Chicago in New York, you, you remember that you're on The Bachelor. Uh, Because like, people, you know, you get noticed more. Um, And New York was always a place Well, when I go there a lot. um, But it was a place I'd get noticed a lot. But there were a few, like, like, two years, I started noticing it was no one, no one stopped me for The Bachelor. It was more I love your show. I love your podcast. Or I'd be, be walking the streets in New York and people, I'm listening to your show right now and that's happened multiple times. That's very rewarding. So again, that whole kind of process, once you get back off, it's almost like you have to start back on the bottom and work your way back up. So it's it's been pretty rewarding to try to slowly get there. You know,
1: With that recognition and being like number one in the world at that time, the most recognized, you, you went to Seth MacFarlane's White Party?
2: Yep. Yeah yeah I've been there a couple times met uh, Sasha Baron Conan and his lovely wife is his lovely wife's name um, Isla Fisher Isla Fisher thank you Sasha Baron I, I was there and I got a tap on the shoulder and I turned around and it was uh, Sasha Baron Conan and Isla Fisher
1: were they watching The Bachelor
2: yeah and they and they just walked up to me and they were like oh my god Isla I, I Fisher it was like I love you and Sasha Baron looks at me and goes I love your work <laughs> And I'm like, I love yours. Um, <laughs> so yeah, moments like that are pretty cool, and you realize a lot of a lot of big time celebrities watch reality TV.
1: Are there any other crazy moments like that that you just couldn't believe you were the guy?
2: Um, Omar from um, May he rest in peace from The Wire. Big Bash fan. He knew who I was. I thought that was pretty badass. Um, who else? Um, there's been some cool ones. Um, Cause I feel like you're in
1: you're in this circle. Yeah. Like at that time.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, um, you're more of like a circus attraction. <laughs> there's a, more of a fascination, you know. Um, who else? Yeah. I mean, I've had a, a per, some interesting moments.
1: Well, Nick, thanks so much for being here.
2: Thanks for having me, man. A lot of fun.
1: Right, guys, go check out next book. Don't text your ex happy birthday, and go listen to the Vile Files. It's out now. And check out Special Forces. Thank you. Cool. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, man. Awesome. Lightweights, out. Cool. Thank you so much. My pleasure.